Hello, and welcome to Asia Watch, Beyond the Headlines, where we take a deeper dive into current developments in Asia of interest to Canadians. My name is Stuart Beck, the President and CEO of the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada. Asia Watch is our free news intelligence service and features analysis on the latest news, trends, and issues in Asia that matter to Canadians. Please visit our homepage to subscribe at www.asiapacific.ca. Today, I'm joined by two very special guests. Dongwoo Kim, the Foundation's Program Manager for our Digital Asia Pillar, and Julian Yuen, uh, Project Coordinator for our Curriculum and Youth Programming. So I'd like to welcome both of you, Dongwoo and Julia. Thank you for having us, Stuart. Well, today we're gonna have a, probably a, one of our more difficult conversations, but I think it's one that we need to have. And it's about what's been happening uh, lately around anti-Asian racist sentiment. It's been here, and we've known about this for a long time. It's, it's something that's been an undercurrent, uh, not just in Canada, but obviously it's been brought to the fore by the recent uh, Atlanta shootings. Why is this such a, why is this becoming even more of a, of a big issue, uh, Dong? Well, I'll start with you first, and then we'll, we'll turn to Julia. What has this meant, the, the shooting? What does this cause for you as a, as a Canadian who has Asian origins? While the shooting took place in Atlanta, uh, this was very this was a very visceral experience for the uh, Asian community here in in Canada as well, because this uh, this is a culmination of anti-Asian racism that Canadians, uh, like the counterparts in America, have been ex- uh, experiencing over the last year and uh, for uh, you know even before then as well. So. Personally, uh, a lot of the, uh, the, uh, the women who died in the shooting, they were from the Korean community uh, to which I belong. And also people who, uh, who were from the working class, people who had immigrated uh, you know, recently and uh, people who took on jobs that uh, uh, you know, others didn't take on. And uh, that's, the, that's a very familiar story to, uh, to the people, to the Asian uh, Canadian community as well. So that was very real and visceral to us. And, and Julia, you know, as a, a Canadian uh, Asian, a woman, what was your, what's your take on this situation right now? How do you feel about this? I think it was, I would agree and say that it's also very shocking because of how brutal it was. Um, and at the same time, I would also say that it's not, very surprising because of the rise of anti-Asian incidents that we've seen um, ever since the pandemic started. I think it's really, it feels very personal um, as well because we can see, you know, we can feel that this could have been us, it could have been our own mothers, sisters, or, or aunts who, who go through something like this. There's some personal painful memories, but at the same time, racism and misogyny and other forms of inequality um, are everywhere and Canada is not immune to any of those things and there are systemic roots to to all these forms of oppression. So this is why it really resonated with with us across the border as well. And not to make this difficult for you, but have you yourself felt this within the context of your experiences in Canada? If, If we're talking about sort of the intersection of racism and misogyny, I think obviously I I'm very privileged to not have had to go through anything Uh, so traumatic, but it does come up in the form of microaggression, in the form of unwanted advances by certain men. And definitely we can trace that back to how Asian women have been portrayed and viewed throughout history and in more contemporary forms in in media as well. Um, The docile, you know, subservient um, Asian woman who caters to 
a white man's needs. So that still manifests itself. And I think what was more jarring too about this incident in, in Georgia was because the police officers actually, you know, just said that this man had a bad day and he had sexual issues and not connecting it to racism, not connecting it to misogyny. And I think that's extremely dehumanizing for the women who experience sexual violence and all the women before who have experienced sexual violence, particularly Asian women. So I think that was very shocking. And Dong Wu, you and I had a conversation about this earlier in the week. And, you know, you actually weren't born in Canada. You weren't even born in Korea. You were born someplace else altogether. And your family immigrated uh, from uh, Central America to, to Canada. Can you unpack a little bit of that, you know, being an Asian coming from Latin America into Canada, just what that, what that shooting meant to you in the context of Canada versus the United States and, and what the implications were or what the implications are for you? You know, as I shared before, uh, earlier in the week, this shooting was particularly shocking to me because so my parents were running a successful business in uh, Central America and they come from fairly like well-educated upper middle class in Korea. And uh, when we decided to move to North America, it was a decision between going to Alberta or going to New York City, where my mom would have worked at a nail salon, which is a very similar uh, type of work that the the women uh, who got killed in the shooting uh, uh, were uh, working on. So um, it felt very real. And uh, it just, it it highlighted how many Asians who, uh, who choose to come to North America, they choose to give up certain things that they have and choose to start from uh, from the beginning, there is a saying in Korean. We uh, we we say diving to the ground head first, meaning that we came here with <laughs> nothing and then tried to make something out of uh, out of it. And just the fact that these women who were who basically have the same story as my family were killed while they were working, it just did uh, did a lot of damage to uh, to us uh, to the community, and uh, it felt very personal. One thing that, you know, sometimes you don't think about, and, you know, as a person whose family came from Europe, we don't, and obviously Canada's immigration history has been Eastern and Western European traditionally, uh, and that's changing. The, the, literally the face of Canada is changing. And if you look at the statistics where we will be in 2035, roughly 28% of the population of Canada will be from Asia. And one of the questions I've often asked myself is, how do you feel when you get together in meetings in a, a context? I mean, you're not always in a meeting where the majority of the people are, are Asian. How do you feel? Do you feel like you're being treated the same way in a conference or a meeting? I don't think people understand that there are differences. And, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. So, uh, Julia, have you, have you felt that, that there is a difference that you have to act differently yourself in meetings? You know, you come from uh, a different part of the world. I think there's always this sort of like pressure to prove yourself or to do better than the next person because you already know that like you face certain difficulties in terms of just your credibility or your knowledge or your connections and all of that those disadvantages that play against you. And I think a big part of it is baked into the model minority myth because a lot of people expect that Asians are going to perform and they're going to work really hard and that's why they are so successful. But that really obscures like every other factor that limits Asians as well and and sort of discredits our experience with uh, racism and and discrimination that that are there. 
but that we're just ignoring because we're blanketing it and just saying that everybody's successful. And so I think the big thing is to remember that Asians are not a monolith. And like you, like you mentioned, Stuart, uh, we all have different uh, experiences and not everybody is rich and educated. My personal background is that a lot of my family members are boat people and came to Canada as, as refugees. They were not part of that high class or educated class and similarly uh, started from blue collar jobs, uh, working their way up and trying to learn English and French <laughs> because we were in Quebec too. So just, you know, these there, there are these struggles too and it's not easy. And Dongo, you, you, I've attended meetings with you, so I know you, you must have some, th- some thoughts on this and how you feel you're looked at in the context of a meeting with a number of different people from different, different parts of the world. But your thoughts on that? Part of the expectation on the model minority is that Asians will be seen as a good cogwheel to the machine that we will not uh, make any noise or that we'll be quiet and just do our job. And this is also related to the way in which uh, Asian women are hypersexualized and that Asian men are demasculinized. We're seen as being very passive and very feminine. And therefore in those types of meetings, uh, I, uh, I often ask myself, is this the place where I should be voicing my opinion? Am I being too loud? Am I being too forward? Those kinds of things. Because I'm Korean, because my name is Korean, and also I look Korean and I sound Korean as well, do they question my legitimacy? Do they question my loyalty or intent uh, in things that I say during those meetings? So there's a lot of uh, those questions and uh, I've had experiences of uh, microaggression where those things were brought up a little more explicitly in my interactions with people. There's lots to unpack still, and uh, we'll be coming back uh, in a minute. Just want to say uh, thank you very much for so far for what you've been saying, Julie and Dongwu. It's been really a, an interesting conversation. So after a short break, we will return with more Beyond the Headlines. The Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada invites you to subscribe to Asia Watch, our free email newsletter. Delivered to your inbox every Tuesday and Thursday from our team of research analysts, Asia Watch features the latest news, trends, and issues in Asia that matter to Canadians. Subscribe to Asia Watch, a uniquely Canadian take on Asia. Thank you, everybody, for joining us again. My name is Stuart Beck. I'm the president and CEO of the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada, and Julia Nguyen, and we've been talking about anti-Asian sentiment, which is rising and is in front of us right now here in Canada. Um, What I'd like to ask you now is, do you feel, having come to the country and you're essentially second generation, what was the the reception your parents had when they arrived in the country and how did they adapt to that? And are you dealing with it differently than, than how your parents dealt with it when they came to the country? I think I would start by saying that for me, it's still very difficult to talk about racism with my parents. It's not, it's not something that comes often and it's very difficult to, to really explore with them because I think their entire lives, they've sort of tried to protect me from, from that and try to make me as Canadian as I can and integrated as I can. And so I think to be quite honest, I, I don't know the extent of, of how they faced it. But for me personally, as somebody who's you know born and raised in Canada, I've always sort of felt like, like growing up, I, I honestly didn't think that I want to be Asian because I would look at my parents and I look at the way, um, you know, other people would look down on my parents and judge them sometimes for just like saying awkward things or like fumbling with their words and just feeling really 
embarrassed and and you know looking back at it I feel quite ashamed of it now but at the same time I acknowledge that they've given me all of they can and all the opportunities that I have is, is all thanks to them but at the same time there's always this sense that like we're not fully Canadian we're, we're still outsiders you know where we look different as, as Dongwu mentioned and so even with all of this it still seems that sometimes we're, we're foreigners and that we don't belong in some contexts. Dongwu you what's your sense of, of this do you do you feel like your parents have had to deal with it differently than you've had to deal with it or do you have similar experiences? I have been privileged in the sense that I was shielded from it by chiefly being in the university uh, academic academic communities and uh, now at a uh, policy industry so where you know explicit uh, acts of uh, violence or racism are not tolerated uh, at least uh, better than in the rest of the society but in case of my uh, both of my parents they work they have blue, uh, blue collar jobs uh, my dad used to work at a cashier uh, as a cashier in a 24-hour gas station uh, where he was literally subject to violence and harassment from people and yeah so uh, my mom to this day when she's uh, she's at a bus station she picks up the trash and puts it in the trash can and then I ask her why why are you doing that and she says we came here as immigrants and I think we have to be grateful and uh, we have to at least not make a mess of this place and you know like she's a uh, she's a great person who has a lot of uh, awareness about the world but I, I had arguments about that with them uh, because they feel like they constantly have to justify uh, and be like, quote unquote, good citizens in order to continue keeping their place here in Canada. And that hurts me a lot. Uh, and I feel I feel similar things uh, uh, when I say that I'm a Canadian. I am. I, I am legally a Canadian and I've been here for a long time, but I feel like I still have to justify as to why I am Canadian or that I'm being a good Canadian. And that's very challenging to deal with but definitely i have it much easier than my parents and i'm uh, i'm just very grateful for that that's wonderful that you th that you think that way and do you see a role going forward for the diaspora in our relationships particularly with asia and are we underutilizing the diaspora in that uh, in that area julia what what's your thought on that um i would definitely say yes i think the diaspora has a unique connection to Asia, a unique affinity to Asia, and sort of a natural cultural understanding that comes with it that could definitely help build bridges with between Canada and Asia as well. Um, unfortunately, sometimes it seems that as a disadvantage or it's undervalued, specifically when it comes to language acquisition too, everybody assumes that it's so easy for an Asian person to learn an Asian language, but you know, our experience might be totally different. Yes, there could be some truth to it, but some people are third or fourth generation and learning a language is just as hard for them as you know any other Canadian person. And in terms of just with regards to our international students, I don't think we're trying to do enough to encourage interactions with local students and finding opportunities to learn from them. And when it comes to studying abroad or seeking experiences for Canadians in Asia, um, I think we're kind of ignoring the unique challenges that the Asian community has for this. And I'm talking specifically about just not being very encouraged to pursue certain fields, having costs of studying abroad or uh, doing internships as a big barrier. 
uh, for that as well. So we're not facilitating the connection that we could have easily had or naturally had because of our heritage. Your thoughts, Danu? Something that I could potentially add here is that identity as a diaspora makes it difficult for us to leverage that, uh, that nuance or the positionality that we have as people in between, I guess. Because especially in policy, we think about, uh, we think about the world uh, in a dichotomous way. We think you're either Canadian or you are a uh, Korean, Chinese, or Vietnamese. And the, the, the diaspora as a group often does not get, into, uh, get taken into consideration at the high level. I'm even thinking about the Globe and Mail op-ed that came out on, uh, on the day of the two Michaels trial in which uh, there was a call for more decoupling and aggressive China, uh, China position. And regardless of uh, how we think about the, the Canadian foreign policy, it concerned me that it didn't mention the, uh, anything about the diaspora, about the fact that there are so many Canadians who have their families, uh, their friends, or their connections to uh, to China and uh, the implications that may arise from that. And so I think it's a, it's a group that gets forgotten in that really uh, dichotomous way of looking at the world. And I think you, you make a good point there. You know, we all have to assume a certain degree of responsibility in the media. Uh, has a certain degree of responsibility in how it casts these conversations, uh, particularly right now, which is driving a lot of the um, the tensions that exist between ourselves and obviously China. And the China isn't everybody. China is the, the ruling party that's in power. So uh, again, there has to be a little bit of care taken in terms of how it's described. One area that the foundation has taken focus and that's around education and the need for education in Asia competence. We have a curriculum program with the BC government right now. It's something that we would like to take across the country. I'd like your own, your own personal experience. Did you have much Asia in your K through 12 experience in Canada? Did you learn about Asian history or did you learn about other histories? And I think that would be an interesting thing for people to hear. So Julia, did you hear about Asian history in your K through 12 curriculum? Not, not at all, actually. And uh, I, I really can't think of any time it was mentioned. And if there was, it's probably because it was so small that it was not, I can't, can't even remember it. And I do want to say as well that like even Indigenous history was not particularly well presented or well highlighted in our textbooks. I'm not sure if things have changed now, but I could definitely say that it wasn't present at all. And I know for a fact that a lot of people and this is actually from our, our own research at the Asia Pacific Foundation through focus groups and all that, that people support having more Asia content and want to see especially the history of Asian Canadians featured in our curriculums. And Dongwu, did you have any experience with that yourself? I only attended a, high, a later part of high school here in Canada, but uh, not so much. But even at the university, I went to the University of Alberta and uh, I felt that it was challenging to get access to good researchers working uh, working on Asian issues that I was interested in, and especially uh, perhaps there were a lot of people working on Asian issues, but not so much Asian Canadian issues. No, yeah, I think that's a that's a good point, and I'm part of a group uh, led by Mary Ng talking about some of the what can be done to deal with this uh, anti-Asian racist sentiment, and we just had a, a very good meeting and we talked about the need for a national coalition to talk about these issues, funding going into it. 
what sort of ideas coming from the younger cohort, what ideas do you have? What do we need to do get beyond this and to understand that a Canadian is a Canadian and you don't need to have a hyphen in Canadian. What's your, what are your thoughts about something like this? It's not about being a Vietnamese Canadian. It's what, what does it take just for everybody to recognize that you're just a Canadian? What's your thoughts on that, Julia? I think like one of the thing is that, yes, we're, we're Canadians, but also I just wanted to say that like, I think it's important for Asian Canadians to have pride in their Asian heritage as well. So obviously I think that's, you know, through the positive portrayals of, of Asians, also just seeing more Asian leaders or Asian role models to, to glean on and to draw inspiration from. But at the same time, uh, I think it's also important to have a conversation about what can we do to really challenge the status quo and, and what is really lying at the root of, of this racism. Because I think obviously it's nice to say that like we need to do more and we need to have more Asians everywhere, but that's important, that's necessary. But we, have, we also have to ask like, you know, the harder questions as to like, why is it that it's baked into our system and that it continues to perpetuate for so long? That's, that's definitely like a, a harder job. And Dongu, your, your thoughts? Julia is uh, saying all of the important things uh, very eloquently. What, something that I want to highlight uh, is just the importance of understanding the, the systemic uh, roots to all of this uh, that Julia has mentioned. For example, uh, yesterday, a Korean woman was beat up by two African-American uh, women uh, in Houston. And uh, we see a lot of division in, uh, in the media and the community and people saying that it's always, uh, you know, minorities fighting minorities and why do white people get blamed for it kind of a thing. And uh, there are so many things to unpack here. We have to acknowledge that this is an intersection of a lot of uh, different forms of oppression, uh, a race, uh, gender, uh, social class. And, you know, that's important to, ad uh, to address in the long run. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> the, the shooting took place uh, maybe within 40 hours of uh, uh, a Korean-American film getting nominated for Oscars. So it was a historic moment. And then uh, we, we people were rejoicing about this uh, new uh, newly found voice of representation, pride, and then you see this uh, shooting happen. I really want to ask, like, does it does it really matter? Does the representation like is that enough? Is representation enough? And uh, I was getting frustrated by a lot of uh, like virtue signaling from uh, different organizations saying, "Oh, we we do not condone this, we do not appreciate it." And even in my social media, uh, my circle of friends who have been perpetuating some of the some of the stereotypes and uh, uh, negative images of Asians they were putting up posts like I stopped the violence and such so uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can move beyond uh, this uh, just talking about representation and the virtue signaling and do work in order to change the system for the better yeah and I think you raise a couple of good points one we have to deal with the issue in the short term because it's becoming something that is un truly unacceptable uh, in terms of behavior. But when we talk about behavior, behavior takes a long time to change. And I still think uh, fundamentally that education will be critical to this and how we build that education and the curriculum will become fundamentally important to what we do going forward in Canada. Some final thoughts from each of you before we, we close it up. Julia, some final thoughts on this? Yeah, I just want to say like, I, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to to share these thoughts and um, obviously Dongwu and I don't represent all Asians, but I think anybody who 
can and wants to speak up uh, should definitely have the, the space and the opportunity to do so. And I'm happy that I get to work in, especially like, you know, in curriculum and youth programming uh, to do the very work that you mentioned, Stuart, of uh, uh, trying to, to further education on, on anti-Asian issues. But at the same time, I just want to, you know, say a quick thing about um, supporting the work that some other people have already been done, particularly in the community, and just really highlighting the fact that there a lot of these people are doing it without compensation. And so we do have to do more to support them uh, through funding and also just by being active and engaged with, with their work too. Thank you, Julia. Dong Yeah, I would just underscore the point of uh, uh, having to support communities that have been doing uh, really, really challenging work uh, for, for such a long uh, period of time. Well, I'd just like to wrap it up now and say thank you very much to the two of you. Uh, it's not easy to talk about issues like this, and uh, I'm very grateful. And I'm just grateful for the great young talent that we have at the uh, Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada. Thank you, Dongwu and Julia, for the time that you spent with us today. To our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our segment. For twice weekly free intelligence and analysis, please subscribe to Asia Watch or visit our website, www.asiapacific.ca. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please tell your friends to subscribe. Until next time, thank you very much.